how would you summarize what we're going to be diving into? I had heard about the Enneagram, and as a scientist, I was pretty skeptical. I was panicked because if it doesn't come back, like, I don't know who I am anymore. Hey, Alan, how you doing? I'm doing well, Katie. What's new in your world? Not much. It's a beautiful day here in Oklahoma and just kind of grateful to be in this space. I'm not going to lie. I am super excited about today's topic and just seeing where it takes us. It, there is a lot to unpack in today's topic. And I, I agree with you, Katie. We will once again only scratch the surface, but we will definitely take deeper dives in, in subsequent weeks. But before we jump in, I, I, I certainly need an update on your chicken egg enterprise. How's that coming? You know, the girls are happy because it's not quite so hot outside. So we do have quite a few eggs. So that's been, again, really fun. And now I am not looking forward to when it gets colder and someone has to go out there. I, I don't know if I'm really cut out for that, but I'll let you know. I know you've got a great crew working with you that I'm sure you have trained well. So probably not going to be an issue, I'm guessing. Right. Mm -hmm. I know, because I'm so good at parenting teenager and, pre and preteen things. Okay. And we didn't even get into the doodle contribution as well. But uh, once again, I digressed. Yeah. Today, my excitement is that we start talking about the Enneagram. I think we've made reference to the Enneagram. You and I both independently have talked about the Enneagram. You are certified in Enneagram, and I'll let you talk more about that. I'm going to become certified. So to me, this is really the convergence of two people who really find interest, the science behind it, the application of it to be really exciting. I'm curious, Alan, when you think about our topic today, how would you summarize what we're going to be diving into? Yeah, Katie, it is exciting. And it's an extension of our last podcast when we talked about coaching. And so we will weave coaching throughout our topic today about the Enneagram. This isn't about coaching in the Enneagram, but they really do go hand in hand. But to your point about the Enneagram, for me, this has been a fairly recent adventure. And I had heard about the Enneagram, I don't know, for the last four or five wow. years. And I'm sure like many of our listeners, I had taken some online assessment, answer these 10 questions, and you're this number. And, and as a scientist, I, I'll be honest, I was pretty skeptical of that. Really? I don't know. That sounds right. Talking to more people that have used the Enneagram and not necessarily in the most positive way. And we'll talk about some of the positives of this assessment and some of the challenges with it. But like any scientist, and I would say all of us as healthcare professionals, those lifelong learners, I was curious to learn more about it because I kept hearing about it. And we will talk a lot today about the IEQ-9, which is, a, is an abbreviation for the Integrative Enneagram 9 Assessment. And we'll distinguish what that means from the Enneagram. But I will just say right now up front, having been certified, as Katie said, in this assessment, both individual and team basis for the last year and a half, it is the most powerful assessment I've ever taken. And I love assessments because it has really gotten to the core of many of the issues, challenges that I've faced over the years. And so 
We're going to unpack that a lot more throughout our, our time today. But I really invite our listeners today to approach our time with curiosity, knowing some of you may be very well-versed in the Enneagram. Others, you may have heard this for the first time. What, Graham? What is that? I want to encourage all of us to approach today with curiosity because there is a lot here, and we're going to spend much more time over the next few weeks unpacking it further. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in, Katie. I could be off and running. I'm going to, I'm going to pause, though, breathe, and give you a, t- a chance to share for you a little of the history of Enneagram for you and, and what that's looked like. Oh, goodness, Alan. Stop me if I take up the first half of the podcast. So I specifically remember, I think this was summer of 2017, so probably five years ago, and some people in my circles had been talking about it. I maybe had heard about it on another podcast, and someone recommended a book to me called The Road Back to You, and I actually listened to it on Audible, and I can picture that exact moment where I was driving down the highway. I, it was a family road trip. I was driving the motorhome. Everybody else is sleeping. I've got my AirPods in. And the author started reading the characteristics of an Enneagram One. Now, I had heard a non-scientific way to figure out what Enneagram number you are is to listen to or to read about each number and whichever one like annoys you the most or makes you cringe the most is who you are. So this author started reading off about one, which of course they read about one first because ones are the best. I maybe even cried. Like I can, I literally have this image of me driving on the road in the motorhome, listening to what an Enneagram one is. And I'm like, that is me. So That was my first exposure to it. And as I started to very informally learn more, I felt learning about my personality type through this lens really helped me to understand myself a little bit better and how I interact with the world, what motivates me, how I interact with different numbers. And then if you want to fast forward to last fall, when you did a full IEQ9 assessment with me, And I don't know if you remember this, Alan, but do you remember that when I took the assessment, I was panicked because I told you, if it doesn't come back that I'm a one, like, I don't know who I am anymore. (laughs) Like, I would have been okay if I had been a six, like, love my sixes. I would have been okay with any number, but like, I wouldn't have known who I was. So fortunately, it did come back pretty clearly that I was a one. But all aspects of that IEQ9 assessment really pointed to the depth of it. So I think that's what I'm trying to say is that, yes, we've all probably for the most part interacted, at least heard about it, interacted with it on some level. But if you haven't had an IEQ-9 actual assessment done and really done a deep dive, you got to do it. It's so revealing. And I'm still unpacking it. I still go back to that assessment and go, wait, now what? And it gives you a language that you can use. I have begrudgingly dragged other people in my life whose names will not be mentioned on the podcast. I have dragged them into learning about the Enneagram and it helps. So there's my quick, there's my quick answer. I remember Katie, after you, you took the assessment and I got the results thinking, how long should I keep these results before I share them with Katie? 
thankfully cooler heads prevailed and I sent it to you fairly quickly. But yeah, you were describing what that was like getting those results and the depth of it. And for those of you who may still be wondering, okay, why the Enneagram versus any other assessment? And I'm not here today to say the Enneagram is the only assessment one should ever use. I would never say that. I, I will say for me, it's been the most powerful. Why? Think in terms of this. The Enneagram gets into why you do the things you do versus what are the things you do. And the why versus the what. The what matters, okay? But many assessments say, okay, this is a behavior in question. Okay, that's something I need to work on. Okay, that's good. And, and we would always encourage that. Let me put it in terms of as a healthcare professional. This is the difference in you have a fever. I'm giving you some ibuprofen to deal with the fever. The symptoms go away. That's a good thing. They may come back. The Enneagram gets to the core, to the root, in this case, the infection itself. Now, please don't hear me say infection core is bad. No, 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 no. We're getting to the root, though, of what's going on. And to Katie's point, this assessment can be very humbling because it can show us, as we've talked about before, broccoli in our teeth. Broccoli, we may not have realized was there, but here's the other piece of it. And there's the and again. It also shows tremendous things you bring each and every day. I will call those superpowers. Every type of the nine types has those. This is not, again, simply these are the things you need to work on. It can also uncover real richness, real gifts that you bring for your family, for your colleagues, for your patients each and every day. You know, I think I love it. You mentioned motivation. I love it. You had that application. I want to take it one step further because I was in a conversation with someone a few weeks ago about the Enneagram and why does it matter and, and really what is it? And we were talking about motivation. And I said, take, for example, let's say you needed me to cover a shift for you at the hospital because something came up and your, your kid breaks their arm. You need someone to cover your shift. As the Enneagram one... I might cover your shift. I might step up and do it for a different reason than the two, three, four, the other numbers. For example, as the Enneagram one, I'm probably going to step up and do it because I think it's the right thing to do. Whereas an Enneagram two, and again, I know it can sound like we're labeling people and we'll get into that, but an Enneagram two might step up and take that shift because they care so deeply about helping others. Does that make sense? And I think we could go on, we could go on down all of the different numbers, but it's that motivation piece. Even if the behavior looks the same, it's that motivation piece. And that to me is the beauty of when we figure out ourselves and when we figure out who we are in relationship to other people, that's really where the magic and the growth happens. And we can become better versions of ourselves, and our teams can become better versions. We were just chatting before the podcast started about working with folks who are different numbers and how much compassion I have for different people in the workplace because I'm more familiar with their Enneagram number. Is that something that speaks to you? It does. It's a great point, Katie. And we've alluded to this before on other episodes. This is the lens through which we see things. To Katie's specific language, the motivators. We're all motivated. 
by we've talked about even in, in a multi-generational workplace. This is even deeper than that. This is what motivates me. It may be because it's the right thing to do. It may be because I want to put others first. It, it can be a variety of reasons. There's no right or wrong. The value of the Enneagram is it gives every voice and every person a chance to play. The motivations may be different, but they're all valuable. And so it is a different lens. But what do we say always? We first hold the mirror up. What does it look like to be on the other side of me? And so this gets into more of what are those things that are core motivators for me, first and foremost, to know myself, to lead myself, to lead others. And so in that, then, as Katie said, I'm better able to connect personally, professionally, with members of my family, with my team, with my patients, because I have a greater sense of what motivates me each and every day. Yeah, absolutely. So, Alan, can you think of a, an example, any other examples of how understanding your Enneagram number and all of the different aspects? I'd actually love for you to talk about some different aspects of the IEQ-9 assessment, but any examples of how that specifically has been beneficial to you? Yeah, let me first address just what might be some different aspects of this assessment, and I'm not going to go through the entire report. Well, there's many reasons why I like the IEQ-9 over just various Enneagram assessments that are out there. First, as a scientist, the reliability and validity. And, and this speaks, Katie and I both have our doctorates, and, and we've done research in, in our past. So I, I appreciate when an assessment really measures what it is the assessment says it's going to measure. Because with any assessment, it can be used in a way that's not appropriate or it can give us some false results. So first and foremost, I love the scientific validity, reliability of it. Second is it goes into greater depth than simply the nine types. And this is where I think this is especially helpful because Katie and I are both type one, but yet we have a lot of differences. This is helpful. One, we never want to use any of these as a label. Oh, you're that type. So you do X, Y, Z, right? Or I'm that type. I don't do that. No, Katie and I, yes, we have a lot of similarities. We have a lot of differences as well. And with each of the nine numbers, there are three subtypes. And those subtypes can look very different, even though we're still the same type. It also gets into some other areas of what we call centers of expression. And it, it, there's so much detail. I don't want to go into all that, but I want to speak to something Katie said. This report, which is extensive, is something that can give individuals who want to grow lots of material, lots of things with which to grow. This isn't an, I looked at it and I'm good. There's a lot there. It gets into those blind spots. It gets into what are some areas of potential growth. It gets into what are some of the limiting mm -hmm. beliefs that I have about myself. Where are there some areas of anxiety that I might have? Dealing with change, as all of us do as healthcare professionals, personally and professionally, this assessment gets to a lot of those areas. And it's not something to fix us. That's not what this is about. But I will tell you, it's given me tremendous insight into how I have been able to become more aware in some of these areas. 
I'll give you one example. And I'm a very strong nine as well. So my type one and type nine are very strong. So I'm going to play the type nine for just a second. And, and for our listeners who might be wondering, type nine, what does that mean? So in just basic terms, type nines have a great awareness of the other eight types. We're very attuned to how others are doing because we're very others focused. It's a great thing. We often are unaware of what we feel, what is important to us. Doesn't mean we don't have values. No, absolutely we do, but I may not know what I want, but I'm here to serve the needs of others. And we're driven by harmony, making sure everyone gets along, serving others. You could see that's a great trait to have. But one of the challenges that I faced over my lifetime and still at 51 is a struggle is, is to bring high challenge to people. I'm a high support person. I'm an encourager. I'll help you. I'll do whatever I can. That's a great trait, right? But I kept recognizing, why can't I say no to others? Alan, will you do this? Yes. Will you help out? Yes. I'll take that extra shift. Yes. I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong. But think about the cumulative effect of always saying yes. Burden, burnout. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Why can't someone else do it? Why do I keep saying yes? See, I'm getting to the why. And so the Enneagram has helped give me insight. Why? It's gone back to a lot of my story. And so I go back and look even when I was a kid. And so, Katie, I'm going to ask you this question. I don't think you know this about me. When I was in elementary school at recess and the, we're playing soccer, let's just say, what role position on the soccer field <laughs> do you think I played? Oh, this is tough. I think I could talk myself into a lot of them. I don't think this is the right answer, mm -hmm. but I could totally see you being the referee. I don't think a nine is going to be the referee, but the whole like you're a coach whistle thing. Oh, I don't know. You've stumped me. What was it? Oh, it was the referee. Okay. All right. See, that surprises me with the nine. I've always thought of nine as not liking conflict. And, and I could see, and I don't, have you been to a kid's soccer game these days? The referees get yelled at. We have rules now. Yes. Soccer was a little bit different in the, this would probably uh -huh. be the early 80s. It's a great point. But I was there to try to make sure that the teams didn't get at each other. So I was there yeah. to moderate. Your point is well taken. That could bring conflict. But I was that person who wanted to make sure if there was tension between the teams, I'm there to smooth it over. Why? Because I'm an impartial third person for both sides. I'm not picking sides here. And so reflecting back on that and then also just remembering as a kid, that person who always made sure that there, there wasn't tension or someone wasn't being neglected because I want to help. Again, really good things. But until I recognized at core, there's a lot of nine in me. Now I'm re realizing, okay, this is getting to the root of why it's hard for me to say no. It's not an end-all be-all. We're not saying the assessment now, I don't do that anymore. It's still a struggle. But this is getting more and more to the core. And I love this assessment because it does get into our stories. And there's a lot there. We won't go into all of that today. But this is getting more to the root, the core 
motivators versus, well, Alan, just say no to people. Okay, that doesn't necessarily help me, but recognizing the why of me always saying yes, oh, okay, now I'm beginning to get greater clarity. That's good. I can picture you as the referee, and then I want to make all these other analogies. Like if you had been the goalie and you had missed a goal, what would that have done to the nine and then and the conflicts that could have arisen there? Yeah. And think about having that type one that's strong. I missed that kick. I let that goal get past me. It's there too. And the IEQ nine is powerful because of the integrative nature. We're combinations of all nine. And that assessment really gives us insight into, okay, what does it look like for me in the other types? Some will be very natural for us if you're dominant hand. Others, very unnatural. They're there. Mm. Which I think is explained a little bit because eight is my number that has the lowest representation. And that's a number that when I've worked with or been friends with someone who's an eight, I probably, I least under, and now it makes sense because that's just not a part of my personality that I tap into as much. I can, because like you said, it's all the numbers are a part of us. But I think learning about how other people interact with their numbers is super helpful as well. Well, it is. And it gives us a chance as leaders, as healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. to call up others. Not call out, call up. What do I mean by that? It gives others a chance to really lean into their superpowers. Every type has superpowers. We'll unpack that further in subsequent episodes. Everyone gets to play. That's the beauty of this as well. This isn't ranked on a tier system. If you're a type one, you're probably a better healthcare professional than a type eight. No, 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 no. Nothing could be further from the truth. Let me give one other reason why I believe this assessment is so valuable. I mentioned it can be very humbling. And as I read mine, I had the same reaction that Katie did. I think there might've been some anger as well. That's not me. But as I digest it more, this is what I would say to any of us willing to hold that mirror up and and to take a deeper dive. The IEQ-9 has given me greater grace for myself with specificity. Why is that important? Any number can do this. I'll I'll speak to the, the one and the nine for just a second. The amount of beating up of self that can happen. The one for me is the internal perfectionism. When I don't get something perfect, I beat myself up. The guilt, the shame, the intentional self-inflicted wounds, because imperfections seek me out and none of us are perfect, although I believe I can. The nine, the self beating myself up comes from I let someone down. I did not serve that person and I could have. Why am I not better at taking care of others? I introduced this harm in a relationship. On and on, I shouldn't have said what I said. I could go on and on. You can see that there can be lots of guilt, lots of shame, lots of self-contempt that we've talked about will radiate into others-centered contempt. The Enneagram, the IEQ-9 specifically, has given me greater grace for myself and others with specificity. 
And we've talked about how important specificity is mm. versus generality. That's good. So, Katie, I'm curious now, as a coach in training, we talked about that last time. And you've gone through the IQ9. You have a lot of background in Enneagram prior to that. What do you think for you as far as the IEQ9 moving forward for you? I'm curious personally how you plan to use it. Oh, goodness. That's such a great question from a coach being so future-oriented. And for me, really, it's about, like you said, the motivators, but also when I look at the Enneagram, I also think about those core fears. Like one of the core fears of an Enneagram one is making a mistake or not being good enough. And in recognizing that as a coach in training, I'm not going to do it perfectly. I missed a question on the last quiz and I'm like, I'm 44 years old. I shouldn't be stressing about missing one question on a 10 question quiz. But when I think about my motivators and my core fears, like you said, it helps to bring in that grace. I'm not saying that I'm not going to try to get 100 and learn the material for the next exam, but I can recognize, okay, this is part of that core fear coming out. I can have some grace for myself here. I'm expecting the same thing to happen as I start going through my training hours and actually doing the coaching with more people. I'm not always going to get it perfect, but I can learn and I can grow. The other way that I see the Enneagram contributing to my growth as a coach in the future is really understanding other people's numbers better because like we said, when we were talking about coaching, you have to be really present with people. You don't have to know everything about them or everything about the background, but part of being present is recognizing their uniqueness which with each of these numbers. Yeah, that, that's tremendous insight, Katie. And, and let me take that and then bridge uh, a bit to in the professional world as well. Okay, let's say that I am a pharmacist manager and I have 12 pharmacists in my department in a, in a large health system. This assessment can be especially powerful, not only for me as that manager, but for my team, we've talked about how challenges in healthcare with burnout, stress, turnover, all of those things are very real. This is not an assessment that makes that go away, but I will tell you it will improve communication. And when I have a better understanding of what motivates myself and my staff, there's a greater likelihood that I may be able to find opportunities for that person on my team to do things that might motivate him or her versus things that demotivate. And, and we do things all the time that demotivate us. We, that's reality. But I think this tool can be especially powerful in building that strong team dynamic, but also really being able to tap more into why is it that I show up at 6 a.m. for that 12-hour shift at the hospital? Why is it that I stay late for that patient who called in, it was an emergency, and they need that root canal? We could go on and on, but getting to those things that motivate us, like with specificity, I think can be a tremendous competitive advantage. I think it can also really help us 
when we're really faced with difficult challenges and situations mm. each and every day. I, you know, I couldn't agree with that more, Alan. And I think, too, you mentioned superpowers earlier. And I think about being a leader in healthcare and wanting to really, like you said, bring up and bring out the superpowers in all of our staff and employees. And if you layer that on top of what we've already talked about with generational differences, this is just one additional, not in a heavy way, but really more in an encouraging way. This is one additional aspect that you can add to your toolbox and say, I can learn and know about my staff and my employees in a way that really helps lift them up. And in my mind, I don't have data to support this, but in my mind, to me, that would lead to greater job satisfaction, greater patient satisfaction, less turnover, a longer bench, succession planning, all of these benefits for the whole healthcare system, just because we're learning about another aspect of who our employees are and our colleagues. Yeah. And, and what you're also describing, Katie, is I'm more likely mm -hmm. to be engaged mm -hmm. in my work. Yeah, I was just thinking as a leader as well, it being satisfying for you to know that you're bringing out the best in your employees and in your staff and in your team. The one thing that keeps popping into my head, though, that is a temptation for me with the Enneagram, and so I want to just be very transparent, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago about labeling people or stereotyping people. You have to be very careful to not label people and make assumptions about their number and about how they will respond to things or how they will interact with other numbers. This is not a label of this is who you are. This is just potentially right. a motivator, a how you interact with the world behaviors. This is not who that person is at their core. Absolutely. It, it can be very dangerous and destructive to use any of these assessments as a way to exclude someone, to tell someone they can only do things within these certain parameters. Uh, I can elevate myself or try to avoid any responsibilities because I don't do that. To Katie's point, there is a flip side, and I have seen this, where it can be used in a very destructive manner and to put people in basically a box. This is but a snapshot. It gives us a little glimpse and insight into some of the things that motivate us. It is a small piece of this. So we do hold these assessments loosely because we're all individuals that are much, much bigger than an assessment. And as I mentioned earlier, we also don't lump everyone that's a certain number together, like saying, yeah, Katie, you and Alan are one, so X, Y, Z. Um, also very dangerous. So we are not sitting here saying you analyze everyone, you put yourself in a box, and then you, you divvy up duties based on that. But I will say, as I can grow in my own self-awareness and then being able to lead others out of that more awareness and, and, and calling them up to grow and to develop, the workplace will be better. And going back to our generational conversation a few months ago, when we look to the next generations as a Gen Xer, the Enneagram is much, much more well-versed in those generations than mine. I say all that, what are some of the things that millennials, Gen Z value mm -hmm. being developed 
having an opportunity to grow personally, professionally. This is not a, a tool to label individuals on their specific path. But if I can create more opportunities that get to the core motivators of my team building the bench, as Katie said, in that secession planning, I'm more likely to keep these great employees. And there are a lot of benefits. But to Katie's point, we do hold this loosely. It is still an assessment. It may be reliable and valid. It's not going to completely describe by any stretch of the imagination who we are. Um, can we also talk about the fact that I feel like the Enneagram has normalized some things for me. And we talked about the inner critic a couple of weeks ago in the podcast. And it was not until five years ago when I started learning about the Enneagram. I didn't realize that's a classic Enneagram one hallmark. I thought everyone had an inner critic. And <laughs> And then when I started talking to people, I think when I first met you and you said you were Enneagram One, I was like, okay, I got to see what we have in common. And then, you know, we have another friend who's a one and we love to send each other funny memes and have discussions about which direction the forks go in the silverware holder, right? And so it's been fun. It's mm -hmm. taken in jest in, in just thinking about how we interact with our world and other people. But for me, again, it's been very eye-opening talking with other people who share a similar number and perspective. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing the humor into this, Katie, because what can happen is we're dealing with serious things, right? Getting back into our stories. What are those things that are core motivators? Showing blind spots. Okay. That can be humbling. That's serious. We don't pretend it's not, but I appreciate Katie, what you said. There's also an and to this and there's humor. We're not making light of the challenges and struggles, but we also recognize that there are some really th funny things that we share in common. Oh my gosh, you do that too. Mm -hmm. Or really? Oh, that is like a foreign language to me. Again, these conversations we have can be very insightful because we have different lenses. And it, it's another reason, as we've shared, having conversations talking about things, learning. We've talked about assumptions. I make a lot of assumptions as that type one, that type nine. And I have to recognize, whoa, that assumption isn't necessarily correct. And so it's a great point. And I do think it can be the source of humor. And if we can't laugh at ourselves, because I can take myself very seriously, a little laughter goes a long way. <sighs> Katie, what about individuals out there that may be like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I've not had a good experience with assessments. I don't really have time to even think about this kind of stuff. I've got all these other things that are pressing. Maybe I don't even like assessments. I've taken them before. They're not accurate. I could go on and on. What would be something you would say to someone very skeptical, maybe very like defensive, and that's valid, by the way, critical of any assessment, what would you say to that person? Skepticism. I don't know if it's an Enneagram one thing, but I can definitely be skeptical with the best of them, especially because of how serious I can be at times. And I just said actually to one of my kids the other day, a year is going to go by whether I do this thing or not. So why not give it a try? 
And what's the worst that could happen? I want to look at it from that kind of appreciative inquiry. What is a good thing that could come out of this? Mm. Also, you don't have to drink from the fire hose. You notice from my story, it was five years ago that I listened to a book. I actually didn't even listen to the whole book. I literally just listened to the <laughs> the chapter on the Enneagram one. I was like, I'm done for. So it's been five years of reading a little bit here and there, having conversations with people, getting this assessment done. So you don't have to get it done today. And it doesn't have to, it's not something that is going to change your life overnight. So again, I come back to the, why not try something that could potentially have a lot of fruit and a lot of benefit, not just for you, but again, the people that you're in community with, do you want to be a better healthcare professional? Do you want to be a better parent, a better partner? Do you want to be a better version of yourself? I do truly think that taking a chance with this assessment could be a, a good step towards that. Yeah, great insights, Katie. A couple things come to mind. One is, again, can I approach this with that lens of curiosity versus the lens of contempt? And you may have had bad experiences. I had some bad experiences early on with the Enneagram prior to the IEQ-9. And so I really dismissed it, one, as a scientist, but two, you being labeled, you're this or that. And so that's valid. But could I approach this with curiosity? I wonder if this resonates at all with me. And is, as we've said throughout, try it on and see if it fits. Try it. If you don't like it, okay. But we encourage you to approach it with curiosity. I, I don't want to say I can guarantee because I can't guarantee anything, mm -hmm. but I bet you're going to learn something about yourself. And this just isn't the broccoli in your teeth. It's also, oh, not everyone does that. Wow. Because that's part of the superpowers. We all have them. They can be very different. And so I want to encourage all of you to investigate it. Look up the IEQ-9 and learn more. The other thing Katie said was especially valuable, and I've seen this too, even with myself. After you take it, if you're willing to take it, share your results with someone, spouse, a coworker, and get their thoughts. You may not see some things, and I don't mean necessarily broccoli in your teeth, could be, you may not see some superpowers that others do. And I hope in that, that it's encouraging to you. And so as we've talked about, don't travel alone. Can I get others to provide feedback? It's very, very helpful. Coming back to the coaching, it is a lot of rich material for, to process with a coach. And this is a process. Katie talked about last time in coaching, it can be a one-time coaching uh, conversation around a particular issue. Absolutely. And sometimes that's the case. I will say individuals I've coached in the IEQ-9, it's typically over time why there's so much to digest. And we talk about the marination. You have to let some stuff soak in and try, because as Katie said, drinking out of that fire hose, you're going to get some, but you're not going to get all. And so this is all part of the curiosity because what I have found in my own life and in, in the people I've coached, it unlocks mm. potential that's there. 
It's not because I said something as a coach, Mm-mm. but this assessment unlocked something. And then being able to process it with someone else who approaches it with that lens of curiosity, there will be things that will get unlocked. And I will tell you many of the things that this assessment has unlocked for me have been very helpful in my marriage, in working with colleagues and serving patients. So once again, we offer the invitation in curiosity. Katie, any other thoughts about the IEQ-9? Certainly, we're going to spend our next several episodes getting more specific into the types. And it's not going to simply be a description of if you're type 1, you're this. But we are going to bring these nine types into some very, hopefully, relevant issues as healthcare professionals that can be helpful, not only for my own awareness and growth, but for others. But Katie, we've talked about a lot of wonderful things. Well, the one question that keeps coming back in my mind is, can we do an IEQ-9 for the golden doodles? Because I just really am curious Mm -hmm. what the doodle types are. Yes. And having two of them, I can guarantee you are two are different types. Not sure what type. But they are definitely different types. And I say that in jest, but it brings up a really good point. We want to also be careful with any assessment Mm -hmm. that we begin to assess others. Mm -hmm. Oh, you must be a type eight. Why do I say that? As leaders, what do we do? We play roles based on what the person Mm -hmm. or persons on the other side of us need. We'll unpack that more. I won't go down that road. We want to be very careful. When I started learning about my Enneagram type, what did I begin Mm -hmm. to do? Oh, Mm -hmm. you must be this type. You must be that type. Be very careful with that. This gets to core motivators. This is much deeper than simply behaviors. And so we want to be real careful in in doing that. Katie, thanks for bringing that up via the doodles. That was a great way to tie that in. I'm just encouraged and excited for us to do a couple more episodes. I'm looking forward to hearing some stories and really exploring this. Yeah, it's a fascinating journey. And we hope, as we've said all along, the purpose of this Mm -hmm. podcast is to challenge and encourage. And it's the end. And I will tell you, having taken the IQ9 and coached, I've experienced both, and it's a both and, but we want this to be a time where if you're interested in in reaching that full potential, if you feel like maybe you're stuck in some way, dealing with a challenge of change, or I'm not really sure how I can best contribute in my team or lead my team, we hope that you'll continue on this journey with us of getting insights. We're not here to fix. We're not here to give you three steps that'll take care of everything. But we do hope that the things we talk about, including the IAQ-9, can be helpful. I think you summarized that really well. So thank you, Alan. As always, great to chat with you and looking forward to our next episode. I am too. We're going to get into that Enneagram journey. So strap in. It's going to be fun. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Katie.